21st is All Saints Day. Also called All, All Souls Day. And uh, Protestants don't really do All Saints Day. In fact, you might not even like the word saints. We're going to get to that here today too. Um, but, uh, but we're going to talk about it today and All Saints Day and what it means and why Protestants don't typically do it. And I'm going to try to make an argument about how we actually kind of miss out on something when we don't do it. Um, so let's dive into All Saints Day. All Saints Day is called All Saints Day, All Souls Day, All Hallows Day. Hollow meaning holy. Hollow Mass, um, like Christmas. It's the Hollow Mass. The Psalmity of All Saints is held on October or November 1st in the Christian uh, in Western Christianity. It's a day of dedication to honor all the saints, known and unknown, who have attained heaven. Now, first of all, for, for a lot of us, we're not used to that word saints. Um, if you're Protestant, you don't think about that word saints because we don't have feast days. That's, and, and really, though, this idea of a saint being someone for whom the church has recognized them as a saint and given them a special holiday, that's a much later tradition. The Bible uses the word saints a lot. So the word saints, both in the Hebrew sense and in the Greek sense, just means holy ones. Okay, it's literally just the adjective holy put as a person. Holy one, holy person. It's normally someone who was kind, pious, and godly. And the New Testament is kind of interesting. Number one, um, saint is never really used in the singular. It's always plural. It's always the saints, never the saint. Okay, always saints. You're always, to be holy, you have to be in a group. But also, the New Testament talks about all of us as saints, as holy ones. Not because of what we do or because we're perfect, but the understanding of the New Testament is because of what Jesus does. We are all given his status of holy and set apart and complete, and therefore we are all saints. Now, the early church used this term in particular at first, not just of pious people, but of people called martyrs. Okay, now the word martyr in Greek just means testimony. Okay, so the, 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 the word just means the idea of a testimony. So if someone gives a testimony in the Bible, it's normally the word martyr. But it became used for the people that gave the ultimate testimony. See, in, in, uh, in the early church, there was a lot of persecution, and so people would have to, uh, they'd get arrested for their faith. And then a lot of times, Christians would recant. They would say, oh no, I'm not really a Christian. I just did that because my mom said I should. Right? Instead of being burned alive, instead of being crucified, instead of being tortured, they would just say, no, I'm not really a Christian. Okay? These people were not heroes of the church. The ones who gave the real testimony were the ones who did not recant, but actually went the whole way and said, I am a Christian, and no matter what you do to me, I will remain true to Christ. And so the early church held these people up with very high esteem. And they used to tell stories of these people. The one in the Bible, the first martyr is St. Stephen, one of the first Christian martyrs, and he was stoned to death for preaching in defense of the Christian faith. You can find that in Acts 6 and 7, Stephen, the first martyr. Some of these other characters you may not have even heard of. St. Polycarp. Polycarp was a bishop in Smyrna and a disciple of the Apostle John. He was arrested and martyred by Roman authorities for refusing to renounce his faith. 
two ladies, Perpetua and Felicity in, uh, the, in AD 203. Perpetua, a young noblewoman, and her slave Felicity were both martyred in Carthage. They were arrested for their Christian faith and died because of it. These kind of people are all over Christian history. St. Cecilia was a Roman martyr who was a noblewoman and a Christian. She lost her faith, or she lost her life being suffocated to death in her own bathhouse. She's considered the saint, the, this patron saint of musicians. See, the early church needed these examples of people who had stood up for their faith. And so they held them in high esteem. They cared about the martyrs. Later, the, the church started to say, we need to recognize these people in some way, particularly as Christianity became, instead of a persecuted religion, became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. So in the fourth century, the Roman Empire began to, to celebrate a feast called the Feast to All Martyrs to celebrate those who had given up their faith, their life for their faith. This, this was typically celebrated the first Sunday after Pentecost, so that would have been like June. As Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, the idea of honoring not just the martyrs, but all these saints, these holy people that didn't necessarily give up their faith, get their life for their faith, but they actually lived a life worthy of example became a prominent idea. So the All Saints Day festival was started. It was originally May 13th in the 7th century. So that's in the spring. Many Christians and many Christian denominations then had special services, singing hymns, lighting candles. It was a day to visit cemeteries and to remember not only those of the long past who are examples to you, but also to recognize those who in your own life were important. Pastors, the Sunday school teachers, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, the neighbors, the friends who meant a lot to the growth of your faith and your life. And so then it became not just about the saints, it over time became all souls that we've lost and who have meant something. Not just those recognized as saints. And you can kind of see that, right? The saints becomes a little more official thing over time. And so the church says, well, now we need to not just recognize those who are officially saints, not just who are martyrs, but also those who have meant a lot to us. All Saints Day was moved to November 1st by Pope Gregory VIII in the 8th century. And he moved All Saints Day to coincide with this really kind of pagan festival, uh, actually a Celtic festival called Samhain. Samhain was a harvest festival at the beginning of winter. Okay, and the Celts believe that on that night, we've talked about this at church before, that the thin space between the spiritual world and the physical world became much smaller. And so you could actually be closer to the dead and closer to the spirits. They would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off these evil spirits. And so you can see how moving All Saints Day to coincide with this, you started to have a blending of some of these festivals and uh, um, the, that Celtic festival was typically on the 31st of October and became known as All Hallows' Eve, this, the eve before the Holy Day of Saints, or Halloween. Halloween. Okay, does everybody see how the merging of these two actually starts to work? So All Saints' Day was moved to sort of correct some of that, and it became this sort of hybrid tradition. So why don't Protestants celebrate All Saints' Day? 
Well, during the Protestant Reformation, a lot of Protestants wanted to distance themselves from the Catholic Church, and they were a little bothered by how far some of this, worship, this stuff with the saints would go. For instance, sometimes they would actually pray to saints. And the Protestants, the Protestants said, we don't pray to anybody but Jesus. We don't even pray to Mary. We pray directly to Jesus. And then some of, some of the other things that would happen, they, they felt like we almost got towards saint worship. And then part of the other thing that would happen in All Saints Day is a prayer on behalf of the saints that they would get into heaven. Okay? In other words, that they'd get out of purgatory. Okay, and the Protestants said, well, we actually don't believe in that purgatory thing, so we're not going to pray to the saints. And so they lucked out, though. Because on All Hallows' Eve, 1517, a guy named Martin Luther picked that particular day to nail 95 complaints against the church, the Roman church, uh, about a bunch of different things to the wall, to the door of the church at Wittenberg. And that date, All Hallows' Eve, 1517, became the, the start, the, the sort of marking point of the start of the Reformation. So what Protestants did was they just inserted Reformation Sunday, right? Because that was Reformation Day, uh, October 31st. And then somehow a lot of Protestants also kept Halloween, but managed to skip over All Saints' Day. Or All Souls Day. So my guess is that for many people in this room, you've never done much of anything with All Saints Day or All Souls Day. Even as I mentioned it to our wonderful Wednesday group this week, several people were asking me questions about it because they had barely really heard about it. And I understand what the reformers were trying to do. Okay, I don't think we should pray to the saints. I definitely don't think we should worship the saints. I don't believe in purgatory, so I don't think we need to pray for the saints to get to heaven. They're there. But I also wonder if we in the Protestant church have missed out on a couple of very important things by skipping over this holiday. Okay, number one, I wonder if we have missed out on the great example of these martyrs and these Christians. We need, more than, more than ever in American history, we need the example of Christians who have stood up to persecution and people who didn't like what they had to say. Okay, because I, I'm telling you, that is the way our culture is going. Christianity is not the dominant voice anymore, and this kind of stuff is not as far off as you might think. We need the example of these Christians who have stayed faithful in the sight of things that were against them. And also, I think we as Christians need to remember those we've lost. Okay, we do a funeral for people that we've lost that meant a lot to us. And then we are expected, if the funeral's on Saturday, to be back at work on Monday and be fine. And, and I think actually there's something important about remembering those we've lost and continuing their memory and continuing their stories. And so I, I wonder if in skipping All Souls Day... All Saints Day, if we've missed something important about the continual remembrance of those people that mean something to us. I also think there is good biblical and theological reason for honoring the saints and the souls who have gone on before us. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews gives this sort of hall of fame of faith. You should go read it sometime this week. He goes through the whole Old Testament story about how great the faith was of these people who stood up, who went through hard times, like Abraham, and yet kept his faith, even though he didn't know the whole promise. 
And then in chapter 12, the author writes these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him enjoyed, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the author of Hebrews says, look, we look at all these saints, look at all these heroes of the faith, and we, and we gain courage from that because they are a what? Cloud of witnesses. Just imagine what the author of Hebrews is saying. That it's like the people we have lost and the people who have gone on ahead of us sit in the clouds around us. It's like they're there, watching us, cheering for us, honoring what we're doing. This great cloud of witnesses. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's biblical characters like, like Paul for me. Like Jonah for me, these important biblical characters that meant a lot to your faith. Maybe it's historical figures. Maybe it is Martin Luther or John Calvin or some of the early church fathers. Or maybe for you, it's your grandparents. Maybe for you, it's your parents. Maybe for you, it's a Sunday school teacher that just poured into you or a pastor that really brought you up in your faith and helped you grow. What if those people are still on the wings? And I know that sounds kind of weird, kind of haunty, but, 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 but in some ways, those people really are with us in the impact that they have on our lives. Okay, how many of you have said something and been like, oh, I just sounded just like my mom, right? Or you hear your siblings say something and you're like, that was dad. That sounded just like dad. That is exactly what my grandfather would say. You know what I mean? It's like in some ways, those people who have gone on before us linger around in our talk, in our voice, in our thinking, that they still are sort of with us. I don't think that's that weird of a thought. That their words and their faith echo in our lives. And, and that's important because it's a part of who we are is the impact that they had on us. So I think there's a biblical case for this kind of understanding that, that this cloud of witnesses is around us. And that we should be aware of that and we should honor that and we should be inspired by that. But I think there's also a great theological case to be made related to the sacrament of communion. You see, communion is a timeless event. Communion is a timeless event. We actually believe that when we go to the table, when we actually go to this table, when you come up to participate in communion, we are in some ways participating in the, in the 2,000-year-old tradition. Right? That we are actually at a table just like the disciples were 2,000 years ago. And that this table helps us to commune with God and commune with one another. And even last month, we had this thing called World Communion Sunday, where we recognize that this table is not just here, but it's also all around the world. We're at the same table. And then also at communion, we call this the table of the Lord's Supper. 
When we say Lord's Supper, we actually have in mind something even further in the future. That someday, at the end of all days, Jesus is going to sit at a table with all of us. And we are going to commune with Jesus face to face at a table, this great big banquet. The Bible says this in so many different ways. And so when we have a table, and we're using a little table today for a reason you'll see in a minute. Okay, when we come to this table, we're actually having an appetizer for that table. Right? Like we're having a table that links back to Jesus' table. We also have a table in which we're having this. What, how does Paul say it? We show forth the Lord's death until it comes again. Right? So this table is actually an extension of the table that Jesus is going to be at in eternity with all the saints. Understand that? So in some ways, that when we go to the communion table, we are communing with people around the world. We are communing with all those who have taken communion throughout history. And we are communing with all those we will someday have communion with in heaven. And so there is this sense in which this is a timeless table. Okay? It breaks through and we are actually communing with others. This great cloud of witness then at the table is not just a metaphor. Okay? It's the banquet. We're having dinner. Having a, an appetizer today with our great cloud of witnesses. And so you see, I think there's lots of reasons, lots of good reasons to think as a Christian, as a Protestant, about All Saints Day. We're not praying to the saints. We're not praying for the saints. But I think it's good to remember the saints. I think it's good to remember the souls who have gone before us. Good to honor and mourn and be thankful for those who had an impact in your life. My question for you today then is, who's in your cloud? Who's in your cloud? Right? Who are those people that had an impact on your faith? Who are those people? Because today as we come to communion, we're going to have kind of a special activity. In your bulletin, there should have been a cloud, right? So you'll need that cloud, and you'll need a pencil or a pen. There's pencils in the pews. Uh, we'll come around. If you need a pen, we'll bring some pens around. Okay? But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to write on your cloud. Who's in your cloud with this? Right? So I'm going to ask you to write those people who have had an impact on your faith. And I want you to name them. Not generically. Not say Sunday school teacher. I want names. Who are the people that impacted your faith? And don't just think about people you knew. Who are people that you've listened to? Who are writers? Who are historical figures? I hope on your, on your, on your cloud you put at least one or two biblical characters that are examples for you. Could be Esther. Could be, could be Ruth. Could be Matthew. I don't know who yours are. Who are the biblical characters that have meant a lot to you? Who are the historical figures? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, is aimed particularly at those who have died. But I'm not grading your cloud. <laughs> right? I'm not reading your cloud. I'm not, uh, not going to score your cloud. 
you put on your cloud whoever's in your cloud. Okay? But the, the goal here is actually to pay particular attention to those who have died. Everybody with me? Sunday school teachers, pastors, friends, family, historical figures, biblical characters. Who are those people who contributed to your faith throughout history? Now, when you go to come forward for communion, at the bottom of this cloud, there are a bunch of pushpins. So you're going to take your cloud and pin it to the cloud. And so we're going to get a cloud of all of our clouds. Does that make sense? We're going to make a great cloud of witnesses. Now, a word about that. This cloud says cloud of witnesses. Okay? You can cover the wording right up. Okay? We got to, we got to cover the whole cloud. And it does mean that eventually you're going to have to probably cover somebody else's cloud, right? There's going to be overlap. It's not that big of a cloud. That's what we want. We want our, all of our clouds to sort of symbolically disappear into the cloud. Everybody with me so far? So please, cover up the wording. And if you're going to, overlap, you're going to have to overlap with other clouds, that's totally fine. As you pin your cloud to the cloud, thank them. And thank God for them. Now, let me say a, a word here. Uh, two quick words. One, logistically. It's going to take you some time to write your cloud. So we're Presbyterian. We like things in good order. So typically, we like start at the front, and then we move to the back, and everybody gets in line and goes this way. But I don't know when you're going to be done with your cloud. So I don't care about any of that. You come when you're ready. Okay, we're going to take our time here. No problem. So we're not going to go in order. We're going to, and, then, and if you can't come forward, somebody else can come pin your cloud. That's fine. If you can't come forward, um, Patty has elements. We can bring you communion. That's totally fine, too. Somebody else can bring your cloud. But just know it's going to take time. And you might have to wait for the person that's beside you to be ready. And you, may, you may have to let somebody out because you went, but they're still there. That's totally fine. Okay? The Presbyterians were okay with this? Let it happen. It's okay. Okay? Also, I want to say a really important thing. That for a lot of us, people in our lives weren't saints. Right? For a lot of us, our relationship with our parents or our grandparents or our pastors might have been a little complicated. So for some of you, there's people that would probably be on your cloud that also hurt you. And I want you to know that's actually okay. Here's my suggestion. Put them on your cloud anyway. Okay? Be thankful for what they did for you, even if they also wounded you along the way. Okay? Take this moment as an opportunity to maybe make a little peace with that. Be thankful for those people, even if they hurt you. Even if they also, if they actually harmed your faith along the way. Relationships are complicated, and that's okay. Right? So when we go to do this, we'll have music playing. Um, Patty and I are going to come down the aisle with pens. So if anybody needs a pen, I don't know if you have a pencil or a pen, but we'll get you a pen. Take your time. Write your cloud. And when you're ready, come up. And we'll have communion on both sides. Okay, so you can take a bread. You can take juice. Um, also, if you, if you want the disposable cups, and you prefer that for sanitary reasons, those are going to be on this table right here. Okay, but we're going to be real patient. We're going to go in all kinds of weird order. I know for you Presbyterians, this is like a stretch, not only in terms of all saints, but also in terms of order. 
but just relax, let that happen, give people the time they need to write their list. As we go to communion, remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And this is that table. And in the future, there will be a night where Jesus will have won the complete victory in this world. And he's going to take bread. And this is part of that table.